business has been struggling financially for the last few years and has lost around £100 million each year for the last two years. Whilst these losses have been covered by P&O Ferry's parent company, DP World, it's clearly not sustainable in the future. The business cannot continue to operate like this, so it has had to consider a range of different options in order to drastically reduce costs. These circumstances have resulted in a very difficult but necessary decision to restructure P&O Ferry's workforce and operations in order to protect the future of the business. This was only taken after seriously considering all of the available options. The company has made the decision that its vessels, going forward, will be primarily crewed by a third-party crew provider. Therefore, I am sorry to inform you that this means your employment is terminated with immediate effect on the grounds of redundancy. Your final day of employment is today. P&O Ferries is offering you an enhanced severance package which is well beyond the statutory requirements and the redundancy terms within your collective bargaining agreement. Details of this package are in a document pack which you will receive by email today, so I urge you to keep an eye on your emails uh, for receipt of the document. The enhanced severance payment will be made to you in April this year, subject to you signing a settlement agreement by the 31st of March and complying in full with its terms and conditions. I do accept that there are no words that can make the situation any better today. I realise that this will have come as a shock to you and P&O Ferries will provide you with all the ongoing support possible. Specifically, P&O Ferries will provide you with support to get a new job at sea or ashore, whether with another part of DP World, with a crewing company, or in another area of work. Confidential support, including counselling, through our Employee Assistance Programme is available to you until June. The document pack you will receive today contains additional information, including questions and answers, so I would advise you to read over those carefully. There are details in the written pack for where you can go for more information if you have any other questions. And please appreciate that I can't take questions and answers on this call, given its format for obvious reasons. I mean, speaking of people who are not having, you know, necessarily the most chill time... (laughs) (laughs) Um, that fucking story that came out the other day about the way that like Hoffa and his team are like, have, were like stonewalling the new administration was so wild. Yeah. John, did you see that? No, I didn't. Do we have a, do we have a Bernie and the Democrats situation here? (laughs) Well, basically, uh, what the Hoffa people did was they are refute, they were refusing any level of transition to the new, uh, TDU slate. And Mm -hmm. uh, one of the statements, I think, was we're going to show up on the day that we're allowed to go there and not know where the pencils are because we're not allowed in the building. God damn. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's so petty. Like it reminded me of some of the stupider stories that you hear from like presidential transitions in like Mm -hmm. the White House and shit. Mm -hmm. Like I think like when uh, like. Clinton swapped over to Bush. The bunch of the staffers like took all the W's off of the keyboards <laughs> and stuff. And I'm just like, man, if that's not like the perfect emblematic like way to show people what liberalism is, it's like, damn, you really showed them. You you really did something there. <laughs> you really fucking showed him. Just like stories of like Jimmy Carter coming into the White House, and he's like, when I first showed up. 
Jerry Ford had written the nuclear launch codes on the back of a Butterfinger wrapper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. It was wild, though, to just see the true, like, anti-solidarity of the old guard being cycled out as they should be and i hope that they never come back (laughs) because honestly for one their business unionism fucking sucks but also this idea that people are moving towards a more democratic model and that the actual membership has gone towards that and that they're specifically going against the democrat the democracy of the union by locking these new uh the new administration out is just like i i am glad they're fucking gone yeah it's really despicable behavior and like it it does kind of explain a question that i'd had lingering in the back of my mind which was like hey this you know reform slate got elected so why have the teamsters been barreling forward on so many shitty things that seem like business as usual kind of corporate friendly union activity. Mm -hmm. And this pretty much explains it. They've said, okay, all of you people who have ideas about how we're going to stop doing all of this really crappy shit and get down to brass tacks about, you know, showing solidarity and improving the lives of workers. You're not allowed in the building until the day we (laughs) technically have to let you in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, even just in recent history, the way in which the, like, to go back to the presidential example, the way that the the Mm -hmm. Trump to Biden thing happened, uh, not that I, not that the Biden administration is good for any uh, metrics, but, uh, but thus the, uh, the ways in which they were like a lame duck Republican party would just like push through all of these things. So then they, then the Democrats would have to then possibly spend the first hundred days putting all that back or, or, or whatever, which they obviously didn't do. They actually just let a lot of that stuff just slide. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a really interesting point and probably where this analogy kind of breaks down, right? Cause the Democrats are thrilled when the Republicans do that. Right. They're like, yeah, put a bunch of unmanageable shit on our plate. So we cannot do it, not fix it, and then blame it on you in four years. It'll work great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas Absolutely. this sl- this reform slate, like I think they're really chomping at the bit to make some serious and effective changes to to promote the welfare of the the members of their union, and like for them to just get like shut out like this, I think really shows like you know it, it's hard to think of it in any other way. Like the the corruption and dishonesty. Of the the Hoffa clique that's been running this uh, this union for for how long now? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, on the one hand, it was sort of like sucked. It's like, man, you're gonna be this petty and this shitty when you're all theoretically supposed to be members of the same organization, theoretically fighting mm-hmm. for the same goals. But on the other hand, as you were exactly what you were talking about before, was that like it it gave, honestly like gave me a, a little bit of assurance that like the the new team were not sh- like signing off on say you know the recent shit that happened in Washington state where the teamsters were backing that anti gig worker law like mm-hmm. that oh okay no that was just the hoffa team and i'm pretty sure that that like O'Brien and Zuckerman were not involved because <laughs> the hoffa team was fucking locking them out of everything so right yeah, right. Well, yeah. and imagine imagine you're a member of this reform slate, and you're seeing all of these like anti worker uh, things, like the 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 anti gig worker proposal or bill or whatever it is that you were mentioning. Um, and and you're just like, man, I could do something about this if I could literally just get into the office. You're like doing the <laughs> yeah. Eric Andre, like, let me in. Like, <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so definitely, I mean, they they just got sworn in this morning, so definitely uh, excited to see, hopefully, a real new direction for one of the biggest unions in the country. Absolutely. Well, speaking of new directions, uh, let's go from the cold open into the regular episode, everybody. It's Work Stoppage, my friends. <laughs> it's your favorite labor podcast. We are entirely listener supported, so thank you so much for any money you might be giving us over on the Patreon. Uh, if you're not in our Discord, please get in there as fast as you can. It's a great place. It's where you want to be. And leave us a five-star review if you want to help the show. You can leave it anywhere you think might help the show. Go to a museum and write it on a famous piece of art, you know, and sharpen it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of doing things that take a lot of courage... Uh, we wanted to talk about Amazonians United in their uh, walkout that has taken place over multiple different states and in the warehouses and facilities in which it took place, somewhere around half of the employees have actually walked out uh, to protest working conditions. And they did so at 2.45 and 4.30 a.m. at two warehouses in Queens, which is not the time I usually see walkouts. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty. It's a pretty interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so first off, hell of a job making a segue that actually was extremely relevant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was, that was, that was good. Um, but, um, so this, so it gotta be, clear for people so because you know there's a whole bunch of different groups trying to organize amazon right now which is a good thing love to see it like so this specifically what we're talking about here is amazonians united who we've talked about before primarily in the context of chicago but they are not just a chicago organization right uh they also exist you know at, at amazon warehouses across the country and as you said they're they did these these walkouts last Wednesday at three different warehouses, the two in Queens and one that services uh, Washington, D.C. that's in Marlboro, Maryland. This, this is an org that rather than focusing on your traditional like NLRB election, like a group, say, like the Amazon Labor Union or the RWDSU down in Bessemer is doing, Amazonians United has been focusing more on the like minority solidarity union style of organizing that mm-hmm. focuses on direct action and shop floor struggles to try and build long-term solidarity and then eventually maybe going to an NLRB election, but depending on what the, the workers see as the best move for their organizing. And so, uh, yeah, this was their, their most recent effort was these three walkouts where they shut down these three delivery stations. Uh, and we, there was a quote here from Michael Carter, who's, who's a worker at the Maryland facility who said, there was a lot of anxiety around who was going to walk out with us, but we were all ready to do it. When we all got together, it was like a football team. And hell yeah. And I think that the part of the reason we want to highlight this sort of thing is exactly what, what like, what Michael here was talking about, which is that like, this is the sort of action, especially if you don't already have a pre-established union, especially if you're doing an organizing like this, where you may know you don't quite have a majority of the worker support where this sort of thing could be like really scary. Cause you might think, okay, we're going to do this. What if half my coworkers get cold feet? What if I'm walking out mm-hmm. there by myself, which is like, you know, why it shows that the level of organization that Amazonians United has put together is so important because like as you're saying like when you actually do this together these sorts of things you actually have numbers that solidarity just builds and can help for future actions and and these folks are doing this specifically because of how low the pay is at these sites like obviously like you're talking about New York City and Washington DC 
pretty expensive areas to live. These workers are getting paid $15 to $17 an hour, which is, of course, portrayed in the media as some wonderful, pie-in-the-sky, incredible wage. Yeah, we've gone over that and how it's actually consistently lower for especially warehouse work. But they also gave that example of like literally across the street, there's another warehouse for Nordstrom Mm -hmm. where they're starting everyone at $19 an hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, I mean... uh, and I mean, I don't know if the the local media is is like, oh, Nordstrom is actually the best now, and like they're weird sort of like, <laughs> right. I don't know. Well, but it's interesting still. because the the quotes that we have from these workers here repeatedly echo the the structural um, criticisms that we've levied against Amazon constantly on this show. I mean, you have you have a quote here from Ellie Pfeffer, who's a warehouse worker, uh, a warehouse associate in Long Island City, who said, we shut down the belt, did some chants, wrote on the internal messaging board, and were greeted by a crowd of DBK1 workers and solidarity supporters outside. They called in all the managers early to cover us, <laughs> which, like, that's something that you see as soon as there's labor action. It's like all hands on deck from the management side. And then you have Linda, a worker at the Maryland facility. This is the quote you were talking about where she says, first of all, we have a Nordstrom warehouse across the street. That starts at $19 an hour. Many of us work multiple jobs. People are hurting themselves on this job. There's another criticism we levy against Amazon all the time. Their bodies are breaking down. I have a coworker who hands out a leave every day. We got nothing during peak, but they doubled our volume in our warehouse. Maybe we could get a thank you. And like, I love every single part of that, except like, you don't need a thank you. You need your wages fucking doubled in the time <laughs> yeah. you work cut in half like and i think that that's what they're what they're kind of like getting at yeah, is yeah. that the the thank you would come in the form of compensation for what they're doing right yeah. you shouldn't have to to rely on your coworker that you know has a leave like that right. just everything is wrong with that <laughs> yeah and so like specifically the demands of the workers at these walkout is raises of $3 an hour, which would bring them approximately to parity with that example of that Nordstrom warehouse mm-hmm. and the reinstatement of 20 minute breaks. Because basically what they pointed out is that they used to have 20 minute breaks, but that were provided as a COVID like sort of, throw away is they're like oh well we're not gonna give you covert protections but we'll, we'll make your breaks five minutes longer <laughs> but <laughs> oh great but then when amazon has rolled back all their covert protections they also clawed back that five minutes in their in their breaks and cut, cut their breaks to 15 minutes which as these workers pointed out it's like if you're constantly doing all this repetitive work all, putting your body through all this that extra five minutes of rest can really matter. Like that can add up on mm-hmm. the days and weeks and months that you're doing all of this like intense labor. And so like, this is also not like, you know, the first thing that these workers have done on this issue. Like they ran a pit- petition campaign internally at the company in, de- in December on the same stuff. And since they didn't receive any response on these issues, They said, fine, fuck it. We're escalating. We're going to the next step. We're doing walkouts. And like, this is not like, again, also like not the first sort of action that has sometimes gotten results because like part of the reason we talked about these folks before is through their successful efforts in Chicago, where they won small wage increases for workers there through like walkouts and petitions and similar campaigns. Mm -hmm. They got anti-fatigue mats installed to make working all day on those hard warehouse concrete floors more bearable for workers. And even more recently in January, when the company decided to try and ban workers from having cell phones on the floor, 
they push back on that as a completely legitimate safety concern. Cause like, for instance, you know, when we've talked about in the past, when, the, when Amazon forced their workers to stay at a fucking warehouse, when a tornado hit it, mm-hmm. like workers having their phones is a safety issue. And so like, they were able to fight to get that, uh, policy retracted as well. So like they've made some real wins. And, uh, how, how has Amazon responded to this <laughs> with, with, with a coherent point by point assessment of the workers concerns and demands perhaps? Oh, oh no, uh, wait, <laughs> it's this boilerplate <laughs> statement from Kelly Nantel, Amazon's director of media relations, who said, while there are many established ways of ensuring we hear the opinions of our employees inside our business, we also respect the right for some to make their opinions known externally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to which I say, boo, shut up. Say something <laughs> meaningful or shut up. <laughs> yeah, this is like third partying a solidarity union, which uh, like literally has no way of even being related to business unionism or any sort of like thing that, that is sometimes like puts a little bit of a gray area in there. Uh, compared to like, obviously we push for like the rank and file thing where the workers definitely are the union and are not a third party where a solidarity union literally is the workers and not a third party that there's just third partying the union again. Yeah. Well, and also like, I just don't fucking understand. Tell me in what way are the workers that work for your company walking out of work and protest? How is that external? Yeah. To the company, it's fucking not. <laughs> it strikes right at the heart of it. Like, come on. Yeah, it's just like, it, well, I mean, that's one of the things, though. When you're like a corporate spokesperson, mm-hmm. you have to be an expert in the art of using as many words as possible to say as little as possible. And and mm-hmm. I would say this person, very good at doing that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so this was definitely, this was a, a big action by these workers. And I imagine, you know, this sort of thing is also good because it adds to visibility of their efforts, mm-hmm. shows the solidarity they can put together, which therefore should inspire more folks at these warehouses to see, what? hey, there is actually an organization that I can go to. There are some of my coworkers trying to fight to make this place a more bearable place to work. And so hopefully this will see you know more growth for membership in Amazonians United and just generally more support for them across the company. Right. Well, and not even just within the company, because one of the things that they saw was the NLRB made, uh, they issued an emergency injunction the day after the walkouts uh, that happened uh, back on the 16th. It's basically, uh, they reinst- they made Amazon rehire uh, Gerald uh, Bryson, mm-hmm. uh, who was fired from JFK 8 in Staten Island in 2020 uh, after leading some protests uh, in relation to COVID protocols. And uh, and like the idea that the NLRB is like, ah, oh, we're getting the fire lit under our asses. I guess we actually <laughs> have to do something. Um, I mean, that's another thing that these sorts of actions do is they they light a fire under the ass of leadership, not only at the company, but also the people who are supposedly standing up for our rights, like the right wing NLRB. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Like a big part of the way that workers and and citizens of the United States routinely get fucked over by their government is by not having enough attention on certain issues to yeah. actually hold, you know, these these so-called watchdog organizations uh, feet to the fire for long enough. And when they notice that there's like probably fucking enough Twitter metrics going off <laughs> about people yeah. talking about this, they're like, mother. Fucker, I God think we it. might I actually gotta... have to follow through <laughs> on some of our stated goals. Right. <laughs> 
Well, speaking of stated goals and our responsibility right. of covering Starbucks every fucking week, <laughs> uh, we're going to go to our Starbucks roundup because I remember back when we were, when Amazon was having a lot more actions because actually Amazon has not been in as many episodes recently. But, uh, but now we've got Starbucks in literally every episode. And this time we're not covering one thing. We're not covering two things. We're covering <laughs> three things in Starbucks. Yeah, um, well, I mean, right off the top, they brought back Howard Schultz. I mean, what is... <laughs> Is this a fucking WWE plot? What is this? A daytime soap opera? What is this? The fifth season of an anime? You're bringing him back for what? The third time? How many times has this guy been interim CEO of this fucking company? How many times am I supposed to slam my venti two pump vanilla no foam latte down on the table, spit the amount that was in my mouth all over the person sitting across from me and scream, I think that's Howard's music. <laughs> yeah i mean the one good thing that could come out of this probably won't but i hope it does is if connor o'malley starts making videos about howard schultz again which he should 100 percent do in support of of uh starbucks workers united but like to the actual story as you were saying like yeah so you know just randomly, just out of the blue last week, the, the guy who's been the CEO of Starbucks during this whole union drive, Kevin Johnson, announced that he would be stepping down and that this was definitely a planned retirement that he'd been making for months now. It has nothing <laughs> whatsoever to do with the fact that under his leadership, the company has spent millions of dollars on and hiring, honestly, an unprecedented number of lawyers from Littler Mendelssohn and probably other shitty consulting firms to get precisely one election victory out of seven. And we're now up to 150 Starbucks stores that have filed for election. But I'm sure that none of that had anything to do with Mr. Johnson deciding to retire and the no, company yeah, right. back hours. And show. we're recording <laughs> this on the 22nd. I know that the Seattle people are are pretty pumped. I think their election results are expected to come in today, so it's not yeah. going to make it into mm-hmm. to this show. But they basically said uh, it's not going to be the headquarters. Or it's not going to be just the headquarters of Starbucks in Seattle. It's also going to be a space for the union, and that was that was pretty encouraging to hear from them. So I guess four stories on Starbucks today. (laughs) Well, and and Starbucks is doing some very heavy lifting trying to obfuscate the reason for this, which is, I, you know, I don't think I'm out of line in saying it's quite obviously the wave of unionization. And they want to bring back their their business savvy, was always secretly the CEO, but wasn't technically the CEO (laughs) on and off for a little while, boy. And I watched like a little, I'm not sure if it was CNN or MSNBC business or one of those, but it was, it was one of those major network uh, coverages of this story. They spent six and a half minutes talking about the stock price of Starbucks, business innovation, the unique leadership styles of different CEOs. They didn't fucking once mention unions or labor in general or the coverage or the press that this has been getting and i was fucking shocked i was like wow you really think that you can talk for six and a half minutes about this major change at starbucks and pin it down on like this is the guy who thought of christmas cups and that's why we need him (laughs) back 
Yeah. <laughs> what the I'm, fuck? Well, and that's even to say, like you were kind of alluding to that, like he has not been in the background necessarily. They literally brought right. him in for that big anti-union mm-hmm. carnival that they had. Like he's <laughs> yeah. been a he's been a whole part of the process and and has been like being anti-union the whole time. The idea that the workers are going to be fooled into thinking that oh Howard Schultz no he's just the original good guy and he's the you know this or that like uh no i'm pretty sure that the workers know what the fuck's going on here you know what howard schultz is is he's a fucking master of propaganda and that's why they're fucking putting him back in the driver's seat is because he's gonna pull some shit like he did years ago where he like wrote his second new york times bestseller about the same fucking thing the first book was about and then gave a free (laughs) copy to every employee and then my fellow fucking starbucks employees were coming up to me and being like don't you think what he had to say about business was so interesting and me being like no throw that shit in the river burn that fucking (laughs) book in your fireplace (laughs) (laughs) yeah well in this i mean it's funny that you mentioned like the way the business press was reporting on it because like as i as you mentioned last episode lena like there have been there's been a movement of like some of the major investors in starbucks to to try and get the company to shift course on their union Mm -hmm. drive basically saying like look this isn't working you're wasting a ton of money and more importantly this is giving us really bad press um, and also could, is potentially damaging the image of the company, which could hurt profits, which is the thing they really care about. Um, but like in a recent stakeholder meeting, like this, uh, chairwoman at Starbucks, Melody Hobson was quite clear that the company has no intention of abandoning their anti-union campaign because she said that taking a neutral stance on the elections and simply not holding, you know, captive audience meetings and doing constant surveillance and harassing people and firing them would quote, limit our ability to speak to our partners in certain ways. In a you know what she ways, said? Like- <laughs> You know what she fucking said is, we don't have to run faster than public opinion. We just have to run faster than Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, damn, that's a that's a that's a dark way of looking at it, but you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's been a lot going on, obviously, every week with this because, like, in addition to this change in leadership this week, we also had the NLRB issuing a formal complaint against the company for retaliating against two leading organizers in Phoenix, where the the complaint alleges, I mean, and this is the, we've seen this everywhere that the company violated the workers' rights through surveillance, enforcing previously unenforced rules, and pushing the workers out of the company for organizing. Yeah, which wow. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that everywhere. They're doing this all over the country. It's crazy. Starbucks isn't even trying to do it like kinder and gentler. Like for no. for for every bit that they've always tried to do things in like a sweeter, more palatable way in every other aspect of their business is in in similar proportion how just completely fucking overboard and brutal they've gone with yeah, this union I mean, suppression like, campaign. This isn't in our notes, but I mean just today there was another organizer who was fired for mm-hmm. uh, get this folks, showing up to work early. Oh uh, god, yeah, I saw that one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I mean, like, they're like, oh, you can't, you, they were like uh, just a couple minutes early and they went and they went into the building and apparently you're not allowed to go into the building by yourself. And so the person was just fired. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely not because they were organizing. That's the other thing is like, kind of, as you were saying, John, it, even with the quote unquote liberal, like Biden appointees, it's not as if the NLRB really relishes doing what its job theoretically is. Oh yeah. And, 
and yet they keep having to get involved with this. And it's like, man, you can't come up with a better fake reason to fire somebody. You have to keep doing these incredibly obvious retaliatory firings. Well, the problem with uh, with finding a better reason to fire somebody is that people who are in touch enough with their fellow workers and the and the structure of the business they work at, uh, in order to have the consciousness to want to unionize, also tend to be pretty capable and reliable employees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, imagine caring about changing your workplace, making it better, uh, and then being told that you're not a good fit. <laughs> yeah, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, to to what you were talking about, though, Lena, I know, like, uh, Starbucks, like, the, the Starbucks Workers United campaigns, like, Twitter did a, like, a hashtag thing last week. It was, like, hashtag why we organize, where mm-hmm. they asked, like, partners who are organizing to talk about, like, what made them join the campaign. And there was just so many of those same sorts of horror stories from workers about like, and so like, cause you know, obviously we're talking about this drive every week on the show. We're trying to cover as much of this stuff as we can, but it, from reading just a bunch of the tweets from those people, like we're only scratching the surface of like how systemic the level of like retaliation and abuse and, and the, the way these, these workers are ground down, especially if they've shown like any sort of semi public, uh, like, affiliation with the union drive and it's just it is it's it's all over the country like to the point where like for the last part of this we have another store that has gone on strike before Mm -hmm. even having their their union officially recognized by the state this time in kansas city over yet again more of these unfair labor practices Mm -hmm. and yeah like we have a quote here from one of those workers hannah edwards who said The response to our union campaign from our district manager, Sarah Jenkins, has been aggressive. She's cornered us one-on-one, sometimes with another manager to intimidate us, forced us to decide between being demoted, resigning, or changing availability that conflicts with college classes and second jobs. We want the one-on-ones to stop. Hell yeah, Yeah. fucking tell them. Fucking tell them. The the shifting of the the schedules is actually one of the strongest tools that Starbucks has been using to basically Mm -hmm. say, oh, you're you're an unreliable employee now. And to like be like, oh, no, we just need to shift your schedule so that it conflicts with all of the things that you have responsibilities for so that we can justify firing you. Uh, That's blatantly what is going on here with every single one of these cases. And uh, yeah, it's fucked up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even when they don't have an agenda against you as a worker, they'll still gleefully schedule you a shift across something you requested off months ago, a recurring appointment that you that everyone knows that you have and you aren't available for that time. And like if they want to try to fire you for any reason, you can bet that like the 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 unavailabilities on your availability sheet will basically become your schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to keep on the topic of union busting, but hopping mm-hmm. on over the pond, cheerio to <laughs> to to the UK, uh, where uh, British ferry operators uh, were fired. There was 800 union staff at this because basically there's this channel. Uh, it's like a cross-channel um, network of, of ferries that are that is a union job where the company basically in one day fired 800 workers while simultaneously bringing in uh, uh, contract labor at the exact same time. They're literally walking past each other as this as the firings and new hirings are happening. It's fucking wild. 
Yeah, I mean, it, this is really like one of the most abrupt firings I've ever seen. Uh, there's a YouTube video. We'll make sure to include it in the notes. But it's the I don't know what his name is. It's one of the executives at P&O Ferries, uh, and he's in a Zoom call, and someone is just taking a video of their computer screen with their phone. And inside of two and a half minutes, this guy manages to hit every fucking bullet point. Like, things have been hard. You know, profitability has gone down. COVID. And then he's just like, like 45 seconds in, he's like, so you'll all be receiving a packet that explains why this is your last day of work. And I'm like, holy fucking shit, dude. You just fired 800 people in a Zoom call? Yeah. How do, you, how do you wake up in the morning and prepare yourself to fire 800 people in a Zoom call? I think I would just, like, resign my job that morning. <laughs> like, yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I was glad that you linked that because I hadn't seen that when I was putting the notes together for that. And I watched that video, like, right before we started recording. And that's, like, yeah, I don't know how you live with yourself when you, like, do something like that. Because this is, like, as you said, like, this is one of the most abrupt, like, mass layoff events that like I've seen in a while, like maybe ever like this is, and this is cause this is a big company, like this PO ferry company. Cause like, you know, England being an Island, but pretty close to Europe, like there's a lot of ferry traffic in and mm-hmm. out of England, both for passenger and for freight. And like PO ferries is, is one of the biggest ferry companies in England. I think they're like the second largest ferry firm or, or they yeah they they handle 10 million passengers a year they handled about 15% of all freight cargo in and out of the UK so this is a really fucking big company and so like the the unions were completely caught off guard by this uh, Nautilus International and the National Union of Rail Maritime and Transport Workers there in the UK who represent these workers were not informed ahead of time of any of this which and, was against the and, law yeah which yeah is against british law um and basically when they were contacted by their workers and they were just, you know, trying to react, they were like, well, they can't do that. Fuck that. Like, it's like, stay on board the ship, refuse to leave. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. But the fucking, the Weasley ass company was ready for that. Cause they knew what they were doing was fucked up. So they had bus loads of contracted security personnel that they'd brought mm-hmm. in with all, you know, your zip tie handcuffs ready to fucking like z- handcuff anybody and drag them off the ship if they refused to leave. So like they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew how fucked up it was, which is honestly, that's why they fired these people over zoom because right. they don't, they are not going to want to fucking face people like in person doing something like this. Like they don't have, like, they're not going to, the people who, people who are willing to do that do not have the fucking courage to do that in person. Oh yeah. In response, the unions have called for emergency protests, mobilizations at docks in Dover, Hull and Liverpool. And this has become like a pretty big story in the UK, obviously. And understandably, uh, I, I haven't seen much, you know, coverage here in, in the U S but like, I mean, this is like, as I said, this is one of the biggest ferry companies in the UK, uh, by under UK labor law, whenever a company fires over a hundred workers, they're required to consult with the appropriate unions beforehand and provide advance notice to the government, which PO did not do clearly because they thought they're like, okay, we'll do this all on the same day. We'll fire them. We'll get the new people in and that'll minimize the downtime because their plan was like, we're going to fire basically all of our on-site staff. We're going to replace them with contract labor and we're only going to be down and like, and, and inoperable for a week. 
Oh which, my god. There's going to be so many fucking fairies crashing into mainland Europe and Ireland right? and the coast of England. <laughs> like, you think you think we got two boats stuck over the course of 6 <laughs> months? There's going to be a lot of motherfucking boats stuck <laughs> yeah. after this. Yeah, absolutely. Like and and to your point, yeah, I, I don't know if this is the same guy or or if this was a different interview, but yeah, one of the articles that I read had a quote here from one of the the contract workers who was being brought in to replace workers at Cairn Ryan, I believe is the name of the town. This guy mm-hmm. is uh, Mark Kennett Baldwin, who was supposed to be taking over for the workers who had just been fired. But after talking about it with his wife and seeing the people standing there, you know, on the dock who had just been fired and some of them being arrested for, uh, or I guess not arrested because it's private security is just detained. Um, and yeah, he said to, to, uh, like, uh, somebody who was interviewing him, I felt I can't do it. I felt sick to my stomach and I walked off. Two others came with me. It's just wrong. And like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I would wish to see more of that sort of solidarity from the, the contract workers, not to shift the blame entirely onto them. Cause it's the company's fault, but like. Scab yeah, labor is still is just, scab labor. And, and you know, yeah. maybe they don't recognize, like I'm sure some people don't realize that that that's exactly what they're being brought in for, but should be fairly clear. And if it's not with these protests that are going to go on at these ports is going to make it pretty fucking clear. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's the thing is we need like labor solidarity to make it so that they can't find anyone to, to crew these ships. I mean, not only for, as you said, John, like for safety reasons, because assuredly there will be far more accidents with, with non-union crews who aren't familiar with these boats, but also just because it's like, I, to, I think there, there's, there's a better, there's a quote here from the general secretary of that union, the, the, the rail marine and transport workers, Mark, uh, Mick Lynch, who said, and I think he summed it up great. He said, we are seeking urgent legal action and are again calling for the government to take action to stop what is fast turning into one of the most shameful acts in the history of British industrial relations. If this happens at P&O, it can happen anywhere. And we are calling for mass trade union and wider public mobilization and protest against the company. Hell yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, not to sound too optimistic, but these are the kind of events that do lead to general labor mobilizations Mm -hmm. and things like general strikes across countries like England. Well, the UK. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like this is kind of tied into an issue that we've talked about in the past. It's a little different, but it's similar to the issue that is very prevalent in England of uh, the fire and rehire tactic by Mm -hmm. companies where if they have a labor contract for some reason, I don't really understand the vagaries of British labor law. They're basically have the option of just firing their whole staff and telling them, oh, no, but you're still still come to work. You just have to sign this new shittier CBA. And now this is obviously different where they're swapping out for for contract laborers, but like the same laws kind of allow them to do this. And it's like not to give the Labor Party literally any credit because they don't deserve any, but like they have at least in the past put forward bills to try and make that practice illegal. But the current like Tory government has, of course, stonewalled that and just issued governmental guidance that they companies should avoid doing that except in the most exceptional circumstances. Right. Cause yeah, there's, there is some way that it's okay to fire a bunch of people and replace them with, with contract workers doing the exact same job in order to bust a union. There there's, there apparently is some example, of that being okay absolutely ridiculous and then the there the company itself said that it had to do so because it was necessary to have the business survive but like 
does that mean that they don't have as like i don't I, the thing does that mean that all of the contractors are going to be pay, paid significantly less are they literally just lowering the labor standards on their on their uh their ships uh, like what is it that is actually saving the money because to me this is actually a huge cost because of the retraining and all of the other stuff it's it, that, that, for, that for one that in on that note it doesn't make any sense but then also they received 15 million pounds of government grants in 2020 uh, to help pay for people and they also paid out 270 million pounds mm-hmm. as dividends to shareholders in 2020 i mean like there's fucking money there like no yeah. you don't understand lena this this company is struggling okay if they don't pay <laughs> out that 270 million pounds in dividends to their shareholders uh they'll be very cross with them <laughs> well, and because that's the thing, like when I listen to that video, which we'll will of course link and and maybe include a clip of, um, like the the guy says, and he's like, "Well, we've put, we've posted a hundred million pound losses for the last two years, and that can't continue." And like, all right, I'm just gonna put on my business hat here for a sec. One, yeah, okay, you had losses during the two single worst years in transit history during COVID. <laughs> How okay? Sure, from a business perspective, that sucks. We'll ignore the fact that you just took millions and millions and millions in government handouts to help deal with that. However, again, Europe has lifted basically all COVID restrictions. (laughs) All the ferry systems are booked full for summer travel. There's no reason to expect that the company isn't going to see huge business and huge, thus huge profits coming Mm -hmm. up. Additionally, so you had two bad years during, again, an exceptional scenario where you did get some government relief. And even still, the combined losses in those two years was 200 million pounds. Not a small amount of money. However... When you paid out almost 50% more than that in dividends in one year, the source is the the problem is the fucking company, not the workers. Exactly. Like, yeah. You could literally, you don't have to cut services. You don't have to cut wages. You don't have to cut benefits. You can just cut the pro, the dividends you pay down. You don't even have to eliminate them. You can just cut them a bit and tell your shareholders, hey, we had less transit because there's a fucking pandemic. Yeah. That's not interest. That, that's not an interest of capital. Well, it's like they feel like they have to guarantee their shareholders return, which is like you don't. They invested. <laughs> yeah. It's a risk. There's risk associated with it, and the fact that like there are just ways to to turn these businesses into risk free investments for the ultra wealthy is insane and then another thought that i had while you were listing the things they could do to fix this without doing all of this insane firing and hiring scab labor and 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 all of this shit is like this isn't in our notes at all but have the prices gone up i'm willing to bet that they fucking have Mm -hmm. oh almost certainly and i'm and i'm sure they all they did was they oh well this is inflation right (laughs) right oh plus covid oh plus Ukraine, you know, just it's listing out of things that have happened. The, just it's like, not a choice. We didn't choose to do this. We had yeah. no, it was, it was the market. <laughs> Look, uh, Taika Waititi released a really good comedy show about pirates <laughs> and we felt like we had to respond by raising the prices. <laughs> yeah. So this story is extremely fucked. Um, I, I hope that we will be reporting on this in, in upcoming episodes to be reporting on gigantic protests. Um, in the UK about this, but we'll definitely be, be, be paying attention because like these workers got completely screwed over. And like, Mm -hmm. as, as that union president said, it's like, 
if this so that sort of thing is allowed to stand, you're going to end up in the exact same sort of situation we have here in the U.S., where the vast majority of people are under the fucking scourge of at-will employment, and you can just have thousands of people fired over Zoom and have no recourse. So, I, I hope we're as 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 like as you you have said that like this is where we see some real trade union solidarity and some pushback. Yeah. Well, moving back on over to the United States, we are going to go over into a. Uh, An industry that we uh, don't always cover, though we try to when it comes up, is the fossil fuel industry. Uh, In San Francisco, 500 workers have gone on strike at a Richmond refinery, which is operated by Chevron. The strike is based on months of negotiations that have failed to produce a viable contract. The workers themselves, being uh, lab technicians, warehouse workers, maintenance technicians, uh, represent about a third of the refinery's total workforce, which actually makes this the biggest strike in the oil industry in California in seven years. Yeah, so like... This is one of those things where, admittedly, uh, like the the fossil fuel industry is not one of the primary areas I look to when we look for for labor news. But again, like it it is not the the, the unionized Chevron workers that are the problem for climate change. It's the capitalist governments and the companies that own them that are the mm-hmm. problem. So mm-hmm. these workers still deserve to be paid properly. They still deserve to get proper benefits and and actually you know be able to have a life. And so this strike is still important, despite our you know desire to eliminate the fossil fuel industry and and give these folks you know good jobs doing something else. Um, but so these workers, this is actually an interesting case because this is one of the very rare industries, oil, where there is actually still pattern bargaining that happens, um, mm. which we've talked about in the past. Very, very rare nowadays. But the the oil industry is apparently just makes such ridiculous profits that they haven't bothered to try and break the, the uh, pattern bargaining uh, agreement that that the USW has here. Maybe in part it's that, and then I think maybe also in part – it's that uh, the workers recognize that like this is one of the most critical industries, and yeah. they're probably also not legally bound like some industries are, like healthcare workers, from like not striking under right. certain conditions and shit like that. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's one of the interesting things here is that so the USW did reach a, a master agreement to with broadly the major oil producers in the US. However, of course, that agreement has to be ratified by all the individual locals uh, like across the country at different refineries and and production facilities. And these workers here in the Bay Area uh turned that down. They they voted down the tentative agreement. They voted down the like agreeing to the master pattern because they pointed out and we have a quote here from BK White who is a vice president of USW Local 5 who it talked about what they're asking for because basically how their wages have not kept up with how expensive it is to live in the Bay Area, where he said, a cost of living increase for the Bay Area is not for us to get rich. Our medical, Kaiser, went up 23% this year, and the company did not contribute another penny to it. So, like, when you consider that, again, like, if somebody offers you a new contract and (laughs) you're there's like a small wage increase, but then your healthcare costs go up way above that. Then what they're actually offering you is a pay cut. Right. And these workers have understood that and said, okay, no, we're not going to accept that. We live in one of the most expensive places to live in the country. And like you work at an oil refinery, it's not a mobile location. You got to live in the area. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, 
they turned it down. And then, but one of the inter- the extra interesting things about the story is not just that you know you've got 500 oil workers, biggest strike in California oil industry in, in almost a decade, but there's potential. And Jonah Furman was talking about this on Twitter that this could just be the first in several different like refinery groups and, and, and locals of the USW who may strike over this because there are 200 other locals that have to still vote on this. And I mean, San Francisco is not the only place that has really high cost of living and has seen skyrocketing inflation and all sorts of costs for workers. So it's possible that this is just the first in a potential wave of, of, of strikes that will hit the oil industry. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they can't be the only, uh, oil refinery workers in the United States who would see these proposals as a pay cut. I mean, like rent in rural Michigan is like $1,400 a month for a crappy little two bedroom (laughs) apartment. So I can't imagine that there's anywhere you can actually like take refuge from this economic climate. Yeah. And the workers themselves at Local 5 are asking for a 5% wage increase uh, over and above the the pattern agreement because of the high cost of living in the Bay Area, as well as uh, for the company to resolve outstanding safety issues and grievances that the workers have filed, because apparently there's a bunch of outstanding safety uh, Mm -hmm. grievances going on. Yeah. And I mean... yet again like every one of these like basically every company that we talk about all the time ever since the fucking lean revolution everybody is is doing this like ridiculous labor intensification like we have a quote here from the president of usw local five tracy scott who said our people are working 12-hour shifts they're asking them to come out on their days off and work additional 12-hour shifts which compromises their efficiency and effectiveness by fatigue which One mild critique here Mm -hmm. is that as we talked about in the first uh, episode of our new series on, on the decline of American unionism, I appreciate the angle that the, the president here of USW local five is trying to go with by pointing out that, that it's even in the company's interest to try and not overwork their employees. But like, that should not be the first place that we're going on this. Mm-hmm. Calling people in on their days off to work 12-hour shifts or having them work 12-hour shifts consistently generally is bad in and of itself because it's bad for the workers. Like, that's the first part. That way down my fucking list of things I care about and really the things the union should care about is whether it's good for the company. It's like, I, I, like I want to lead with, if I'm the person making this statement, they're asking our workers to come in on their days off and do 12-hour shifts, which means they never get to see their family, they never get to rest, they never get to actually have a real life. That's how, I mean, look, I'm not the president of a union, I don't have anything degree in public relations, but if, you know, that's what I would center rather than, well, this compromises their efficiency and effectiveness. So I'm like, eh. Well, you heard him, yeah. folks. We gotta get Dan into union leadership. Uh, <laughs> that's right. No, 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 no. <laughs> We, we are all about rank and file, and as somebody who's not a rank and file membership, I should not be leadership of that. <laughs> there we go. Um, but yeah, the Chevron is not, you know, showing any sympathy to this. Um, they've characterized nope. the union's des- demands as excessive. Uh, quote, the union's demands exceed what the company believes is reasonable and beyond what it was agreed as part of the national pattern bargaining agreement. What the company believes is fucking re- reasonable. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, I, I don't 
like you you cannot trust a company to make a decision for your life that is they are definitely not interested in your living conditions they are interested in profits for their their board members and their their shareholders uh well there's like this pathological thing in like american political culture where like whenever you're faced with opposition you you suddenly become consumed with the idea that you might be perceived as too hostile if you don't like open with an olive branch every time you make a criticism or a suggestion and it's like stop fucking doing that (laughs) the reason they want you to do that is because it undermines everything you're asking for (laughs) and Mm -hmm. gives them an opening to be like Oh, you're willing to compromise? How about we compromise 99-1? You know, we get the 99, you get the 1. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so we are seeing... So even though, like, you know, the workers don't represent a majority of the workers at the refinery, it's still 500 workers, so that's a lot of people to try and replace. Mm-hmm. But Chevron is going to try and keep the refinery open by use, at least partially by using managers to replace striking workers, which... Wow, again? Considering how that's gone in some of the other strikes we've talked about, like the fact that, say, John Deere, when they did that, immediately engineers started crashing <laughs> tractors on the factory floor and causing all these problems. So you're telling me that, that the managers are good, let me check the list, maintenance technicians? Uh <laughs> <laughs> that that weird like uh uh like club music voiceover craze you know the one i'm talking like damn son where'd you find this and all that <laughs> right. shit but he's like certified john deere moment <laughs> it's just like a fucking ferry crashing into spain and an oil refinery in california on fucking fire <laughs> yeah i mean like the union has has of course you know raised concerns about safety that results from having office workers less familiar with the operation of the refinery being involved and even like Contra Costa County supervisor, John Gioia, I think is how you say that, who represents the district where the facility is located, said that he's concerned, quote, that the highly trained and experienced USW workers will not be operating the refinery. And I would have that concern too, because petrochemical industries are not the sort of thing you want people, you want amateurs doing because like, this is literally an explosive situation and this is not a small facility either. Like this refinery produces over 10% of California's refined petroleum products, which unfortunately has been where most of the media coverage of this strike that I've seen has been. It hasn't been focused primarily on what the USW workers are demanding on the plight that they're facing with the incredibly high cost of living along with inflation and the cuts to their benefits They've been focused on, well, how's this going to affect gas prices? Right. Well, and that's <laughs> and it makes sense. But uh, then we have uh, the more reasonable statement from uh, Councilman um, Eduardo Martinez, uh, yeah. who responded to the strike, the strike, saying, "It's a myth that we rely on Chevron for our economic well-being. They rely on us, the residents and the workers." I support USW Local 5 as they refuse to sacrifice all of our health for corporate profit, which is exactly what we were saying and what we always try to hammer home on uh, to to basically say, like, the workers are the reasons why this is happening. And if you're going to start treating the workers poorly, it's going to cause health issues, not only just for those workers, but for the entire community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, we're not necessarily ones to come out here and praise politicians all the time, but that's a really good statement. And I'm really glad to 
to see that from a, a city council person in the area, and and hopefully it's a it's a sign that there is a decent amount of community support for these workers. Yeah, I mean, it is nice to see a politician once in a while who doesn't immediately turn into Jim Cramer every time a labor <laughs> issue props up, start talking yeah. about dividends and stock futures and shit. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, going back across, I didn't order these very well geographically anyway, in this set of notes. So going (laughs) back across the Atlantic ocean, (laughs) uh, we've got a little story here about some, uh, Italian workers at Galileo Galilee airport in Pisa in Italy who great Bertolt Brecht play really good Bertolt Brecht play. (laughs) Oh Yeah. Yeah, um, there's a you can look it up Galileo Galilei it's a uh, yeah Bertolt Brecht you should google it it's it's like it's like 45 minutes long or something like that and it's it's fully like at least the one that I saw on the internet was really good but anyway nice. continue <laughs> but yeah so these workers were loading a uh like a transport plane as part of their normal job at this airport and what they'd been told was that, oh, these these are humanitarian aid flights going to Ukraine. So these will have, you know, like medicine and food and, you know, the sorts of things you would think for humanitarian aid. And then they happened to check the manifest and see what some of the crates were. And oops, turns out it's weapons. <laughs> it's not actually humanitarian aid. <laughs> oops, all lethal aid. <laughs> yeah. And so immediately... Uh, the the workers who are members of this union, Union Syndicale de Base, uh, aka the Based Union, um, <laughs> did told their workers, "Yeah, thank you for checking that out. Stop loading those crates," <laughs> <laughs> which is good because again, they were told that these were food and medicine. It was actually weapons that was going to go to Poland and then go into Ukraine, and so they said, "Fuck this. We are not loading weapons to make this war worse. We thought we were loading food and medicine, and we're not loading anything until you explain what the fuck happened and make sure that this isn't going to happen again. And, uh, uh, you know, of course, the management at the airport is scrambled to be like, oh, sorry, this was a mistake. Don't worry about oh, it. It, it wasn't on again. the manifest. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that there's just like, uh, we live in a world where there's an Iran Contra every like week <laughs> mm-hmm. and it just barely cracks the new. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, w- I will say it was hard to find uh, coverage of this in English. Like really uh, some of our listeners like posted about it with like links that were in, in Italian and provided translation, which was very helpful. Uh, and eventually there were some sites that did have some English stuff, but yeah, you, this did not make very much mainstream press that basically the, the U S and, and like the EU are like, trying to use just commercial shipment flights and lazily listing like stamping humanitarian on a, on a list of like crates full of javelins and shit. <laughs> and- <laughs> no, the United States would never do bumbling imperialism. The United <laughs> States would never do like the cheapest, least effective Hogan's hero, Nazi guard ass antics in order well, to support their position in a war. In my, in my opinion is that it's not bumbling because they get away with it most of the time the only reason it seems bumbling is because they this strategy works most of the time and it just didn't this time well i think that's the problem is it is bumbling because like there's no incentive there hasn't been an incentive not to bumble (laughs) for like what 50 years (laughs) yeah i mean there are definitely some people in the national security state who have gotten lazy because of how easy their job has gotten Mm -hmm. but like uh i mean so these workers they've they've 
based the like their union has called on workers across Italy to block any arms shipments and to be like more on their guard to look at the actual manifest and make sure that any humanitarian aid flights are actually humanitarian aid. Right. They also organized a protest this past weekend uh, at the airport and as, as well as some other locations in, in Italy. And, and so they, they put out this statement. We strongly condemn this blatant deception, which cynically uses the guide of humanitarian aid to further fuel the war in Ukraine. And they also like, this has also been condemned by Italy's communist refoundation party, which demanded a, a, an explanation from the government. Um, their national secretary, Maurizio Acerbo, put out a statement saying, citizens have the right to know what kind of military operations their country is conducting, especially when a city lends its airports, becoming a direct protagonist of this conflict on the one hand and a potential target on the other. Yeah, yeah, I guess I had not uh, even put it together in my brain that, like, that means that this airport is moving military equipment, and if for some reason someone was trying to stop that military equipment from moving and they knew about it, well, you know, it puts those pe- those workers in danger unnecessarily, especially without their knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that was also cool when I was reading about this to learn about is that, like, this is not the first time that Italian, like, logistics workers have blockaded shipments of weapons to imperialist, like, aims throughout uh, like the trying to use Italy as a transit point for them. Like in back in May, 2019 dock workers in Genoa refused to load a Saudi ship with drones and other weapons that were destined to be used in their continuing, despite what Joe Biden tells you, uh, war in Yemen. So, uh, anyway, props to all these Italian workers who have been doing a great job of, of do- doing their part to oppose war and focusing on, you know, the one war that really matters, the class war. Exactly. I mean, like, sometimes it's as simple as just literally looking at the list of things that are in the box you're (laughs) loading. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, in our final story for today, uh, actually, you know, you're right, because now we're going to san francisco we're going back yeah, to california i should have reorganized them sorry <laughs> that is totally fine uh we're gonna Look, be covering this is a some... labor show not where in the world is carmen san diego okay <laughs> it's all right yeah. uh the, there uh, was a three-day teacher sit-in uh in san francisco where over 100 members of the United Educators of San Francisco rallied at the headquarters of San Francisco's Unified School District to demand resolution of missed payments following failed rollout of the district's new payroll system, where hundreds of educators in the district have been unpaid or underpaid for weeks since the system changeover happened, and basically just putting all of that burden on the teachers themselves. Yeah. This started on the 14th, and uh, so luckily we're going to get to actually cover a resolution in this story as well. Hopefully. Kind, uh, a kind, uh, pretty close to a resolution. Yeah, like this was a situation that it's like, it was kind of wild to read the results of it because like this is coming out of a couple stories, like one in Liberation News where they talked about when this started and then another one when it finished, where like the district spent, I think something like, $13 million. It might've been 3 million. It, it doesn't matter. It's a ridiculous amount of money either way to change over their payroll system to this new software. And then when it fucked up and didn't pay people properly, they told people, Oh, don't, don't worry about it. We'll fix it. Eventually. It's like, but this is people's, this is people's paychecks. It's like, it's, it's how they pay their bills. It's how they buy food. You can't just, and eh, we'll fix it later. People's ability to provide for 
their own continued survival. Right. Well, yeah. Like and, I, I know you, you think a lot of cute and fun shit happens behind the scenes at your little corporation. You might be an executive. You might be a vice president or whatever. But like to the majority of people who work for your company, the main thing you do is spit out money. <laughs> so if you can't fucking do that, like <laughs> your company is fundamentally broken. Right. And it ma- makes you think like, where is the perspective they're coming from? They're like, oh, I can handle a month without a paycheck. Why can't they? Right. When in Ugh. reality, the like so many people, especially teachers are, are tragically underpaid and live paycheck to paycheck, sometimes getting multiple jobs. I mean, to, to to just say, oh, this can get fixed in whatever time period we figure it out in is so irresponsible and and really just blatantly classist. Yeah. And I mean, this had like real consequences for these folks, like the teachers and other education staff reported underpayments, incorrect amounts, missing paychecks altogether, missing insurance cutoffs, wrong tax withholdings. And this led to things like you know, folks not being able to pay bills, having to borrow money to pay mm-hmm. rent, being sent to food pantries because they couldn't afford to buy food because they hadn't been fucking paid, and even being forced to apply for rental assistance. So, like these, are, these have huge impacts on people's lives. Like even when they get this back, this could have a bad, like a really harsh impact on their credit. And like, so like even this being resolved could still have long term consequences. And so these workers for weeks and weeks were coming to the the school district and being like, hey. We haven't been paid or I haven't been paid right. You need to fix this. Like, I get that you're doing a trance. There's going to be some hiccups, but you have to pay us or we are fucked. And the district management response to that was to just say, oh, don't worry about it. We'll fix it. And so like, no, no, we need to have a meeting to talk about this. And the union, the district management completely refused to meet with them. And so that basically the the worker said, okay, fine. You clearly do not understand how important this is. And so they said, if you're not going to meet with us, we'll wait here until you do. And so they camped out at the district headquarters. They spent uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night on the floor of the district offices, refusing to move until management agreed to their demands. And by Thursday, management had caved, re- agreeing to resolve all of their pay disputes. They agreed to resolve unpaid wages, pay 15% interest on late pay past three business days, because some of these people hadn't been paid in weeks. And it, I think some even maybe like well over a month. Reimbursing teachers for late fees and penalties as a result of reduced pay retroactive to February 1st, and to restore insurance coverage re- retroactively. So, I mean, this is yet another case of like, if you think your company is fucking you over and you actually have the collective ability to struggle, don't just sit around and wait, like actually take action. Cause that's like, if these workers had just waited, I'm sure it would have taken weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And you might've seen people get evicted or like worse, like it. And so like they went out there, they took some real hard direct action and they forced through the issue and they got success. Right. And then the statement that we have from UESF President uh, Cassandra Creel uh, said that uh, said uh, we won this because of you all. Uh, this is going to be an ongoing fight. We know that the issues can't all be resolved, but we know what we're willing to do to get them. Yeah, absolutely. So because, yeah, the, the, like she mentioned that like community support was big and was really important for this, which is really great to see that like the, the community was behind these teachers and 
I honestly, like, I think like, you know, a, a three day sit ins, it sucks to have to like, you know, sleep in a sleeping bag on the floor of some office, but like three days, that's a pretty effective turnaround, honestly, mm-hmm. considering like how shitty so many of the employers in this country are. So I, I hats off to these teachers. I think this was a, an excellent demonstration of solidarity and direct action. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's uh, directly act towards the end of the episode uh, by going <laughs> to the meme review. Man, I got to get some of the got some of those John transitions like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but this this first one is uh, a meme format that's been going around a lot, where yeah. SpongeBob is sitting in a in the in a crowd screaming at the person next to him, and everybody is very frightened of the situation. Although I have seen ones where everybody is very calm. I think that it's funny that the it works in both of those formats, but this one is the one where the people around him are concerned. <laughs> and yeah. And tech- so SpongeBob's up yeah. here screaming, I fucking love committing time theft. I want to fucking sleep on the job, not clock out for breaks, do literally nothing while still getting paid. Yeah. Oh, God. I love that shit so fucking much. Like when I see <laughs> I have a slow day at work, I'm like, oh yeah, man, it's definitely going to take me 45 minutes to eat a bacon, egg and cheese. <laughs> 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 yeah well and even well, then like i mean this this all balances out in the wash barely in fact it, it doesn't you could commit time theft for a year and you wouldn't make up for all the wage theft that has gone on throughout this country uh, that's so. right it's, it's not time theft it's recovering your stolen surplus it, if, labor. if that's you're right. not doing enough time theft to make up for wage theft you're not getting a pay increase. You're getting a pay cut. <laughs> That's right. That, there we go. There we fucking go. That's the new meme. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and, uh, this next one it is, is, is another galaxy brain format. And now I'm not even sure like how this is going to go because this is based on that story that came out that the Senate's going to end. Uh, daylight savings time but then that got thrown out of whack but this was there was all sorts of discourse about dis daylight savings time mm-hmm. what's good what's not and then so instead we've got small brain universal standard time so don't have to go to work in the dark slightly larger brain universal daylight savings time so people don't have to leave work in the dark and then galaxy brain shorten the working day so everyone can have daylight before and after work that's, that's fucking right, right. I've been seeing that one going around. Imagine having a job that actually required more than 25 hours of work in a week. They don't (laughs) exist. And if they do, those companies should simply hire more people. That's right. That's right. Uh, Hey, I mean, how how many places we talked about that have tried out four four day work weeks and they haven't fallen into the sea? Well, I I think that this one I've seen posted by by some even more like lighter um, lighter political people in in my life, being like, this is a pretty universal thought. This is like, if we're talking about the forty hour work week, this is a little bit of an impetus for you know your thirty hour work work week, so that we can actually Mm -hmm. you know, I mean if it if it's daylight savings time that's one of the issues for people and we want to talk about not working uh, like having a having fair hours because you want more daylight then let's save some daylight by saving our fucking work hours that's uh, right that's i right. mean pe- people are really concerned i think a lot of the time they're like oh look i'm a marxist or an anarchist or whatever and i have trouble communicating these ideas to people who are not already marxist and anarchists and it's like okay maybe instead of like hey have you read capital you could be like You've ever seen the Jetsons? 
<laughs> you ever think about how <laughs> they don't really have to do a lot of well george comically has to do a lot of work still pushing that one button but like pushing one <laughs> button's pretty nice and like <laughs> we have the technology to all work so little why don't we and that will really get their fucking gears turning. Like even somebody who's never considered communism in their lives will start to think like, yeah, man, why don't I only have to work 15 hours a week? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you got to be careful though. As soon as you start talking about working less, you get to our next meme. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is one of those ones where it's uh four sticky notes with uh with drawings on them the last one was the one where it's like the guy screamed lazy well i think that that's a little <laughs> oh, bit yeah. of a trend for this uh east coast uh notes uh east coast it notes that's what that's it is right. um yeah we're the first part where there, it's two people having a conversation one person being like okay tell me why my generation is poor but without using the words coffee bootstraps phone or avocado and the guy <laughs> is just like well it's uh it's because you it's uh uh because it's for phone and then it's like nope avocado no. <laughs> keep trying bud keep trying but he just keeps getting progressively madder and sweatier <laughs> <laughs> yeah these these east coasted notes ones are pretty funny i like them well it's crazy because like i will i'll say shit like this to the um the older adults in my life and i'll i'll say like man have you seen where the fucking rent prices are at have you seen how much people want if you want to buy like a two-bedroom house from them it's like fucking Mm -hmm. insane right now and they all look at me like beatifically you know having already been homeowners for decades and they're like you know, the price of things does go up. <laughs> Man, fuck you. <laughs> Except apparently the price of labor. That's right. That has yeah. stayed pitifully the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in a, so, a, a neater, a uh, very much cleaner meme. Uh, oh, look, it's we Mr. Have, Peanut. Yeah, we have <laughs> <laughs> we have this one by the by the Millennial Union Thugs page. I am really, you know what, this made me think. Uh there we have uh, our work stoppage show where's our fucking zoomer work stoppage i i want like some some zoomer group to do a show like ours now too but with with more of a zoomer take that's what that's what we need <laughs> i think that's just called like uh shitting on the clock tiktok compilation volume 18 <laughs> God, i'm sorry that was such a boomer joke but i had to make it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, so so this one is it, it's uh, very clean, like uh, well drawn, like it's just like very minimalist art style of like uh, a little guy art. in a bowler with with a monocle and like a little mustache and a bow tie, and so you've got you're basically your two sides of this capitalist here. You've got during earnings report and he's holding two gigantic sacks full of money. And then when you ask for a raise and he's just shrugging and his pockets are turned out, Oh, I got nothing for you. Sorry. And this is basically an illustration of PNO fairies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I every mean, other even fucking got the, company the, we have never covered the, yeah. the the bowler hat with the monocle. Yeah. It gives a little bit of that, that like uh, old style British vibe almost. Yeah, he looks yeah. like the Monopoly man. Yeah. <laughs> or Mr. Yeah, Peanut. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so this last one I put in here partially in order to allow me to as a, a, a segue to to our end in order to reference something. But this is a 
a meme that's it's got a bunch of Animal Crossing characters t posing in the background, which doesn't really have anything to do with the meme. <laughs> no, but it, it has it, it. It ascribes like a very insistent tone to it somehow. Like it just feels like <laughs> yeah. like a bunch of Animal Crossing characters t posing somehow means like I'm really about to say something somehow (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then in font that has kind of a like vaporwave color gradient to it here it in in just big block letters over over the like t-posing animal crossing characters it just says nato was founded as a jobs program for nazi officials (laughs) that's the whole meme i mean that's true it's it's very true although if i can do a little bit of a analysis on the because the the text itself is also kind of foggy and i feel like this is meant to be put in a feed that is scrolling so you scroll really fast and all you see are these really clear animal crossing characters and so maybe you're thinking oh gosh i gotta know what this text is it's hard to read because everything's blurring then you know like it actually gets you to step back a little bit maybe i don't know maybe that was kind of the goal with the way that it was formatted it's kind of the way that i was feeling the vibe but yeah nazi program (laughs) <laughs> and and if and if you want to hear more about the history of of the Nazi arming and training organization, uh, aka NATO, and the U.S.'s collaboration with Nazis, uh, I would recommend you check out the latest uh, episode of Invent the Future because a uh, friend of the show, Ethan, who's been on a couple of times, was nice enough to invite me to go on there on their latest episode and was was very kind and let me blather on for about three hours. <laughs> about like the history of us collaboration with nazis the history of the united states biological warfare program and how that grew out of like the horrific nazi experiments during world war ii as well as then the like legacy and history of mk ultra so if any of that sounds interesting if you you know you haven't had a chance to listen to our series on the repressive state apparatus or you'd like a preview of what it is if you're not a patron definitely go check that out uh i think that it's it's if those topics sound interesting for you i there's uh there's three hours of it over there and I think you'll find it very enlightening. <laughs> but yeah. Dan, are there any episodes of podcasts that explain how Bulgaria, Greece, and Hungary are in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization? <laughs> <laughs> or Turkey? Yeah, Turkey. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I, I am, I'm excited to listen to it myself. It just came out yesterday or the day before, and I haven't had an opportunity, but it's definitely on my list of things to get to, and I encourage other listeners to check that out as well. But... On the note about this show, uh, if you'd like to support our show, you can go to patreon.com slash workstoppage and send us $5 a month and you get access to all of our back catalog of of overtime episodes where we do lots of long form explainers to help you get a better grasp on all of these issues that we talk about, as well as our uh, shop floor discussions where we go a little bit deeper onto some uh, political issues that we don't have time for on the show. Uh, For some reason, you can't afford to do that. Jump in the Discord and let us know. We'd be happy to hook you up. Um, And also, one thing that you can do if you'd like to support us, and maybe you are a patron or maybe you can't afford to, just share our our show with other people. Let them know how fucking important these stories are and uh, how important it is for us to know how to show solidarity with people around us. Uh, You can also follow John at Facebook Villain. You can follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod. You should listen to Beep Beep Lettuce, Red Game Table, and Invent the Future. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest. Solidarity forever. Solidarity out there. Solidarity, everybody.
Is it true? My God! Oh fuck, it's Kifu's! A true enemy. As yet, to reveal himself.